Hi, my name is M. Milks, and I will be having a conversation with Jay Soto for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It is Monday, October 10th, 2016, and this is being recorded at Jay's apartment in Crown Heights. Hi, Jay. Hi. Um, so, can you tell us your name and age and gender pronouns? Uh, yes. So, my name is uh, Jay, just a letter, period. Uh, Soto, S O T O. Um, my gender pro- pronouns are he, him, and his, and just recently I've started using they and them. Um, and my age, I am 36 years old. All right. And how would you describe your gender identity? Uh, I would say that I'm a, a trans person. Sometimes I say that I'm a trans man um, and or female to male, um, although I exist in a pretty uh, fluid space. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and how long have you been in New York City? Uh, I've lived in New York City just over two years. Uh, I arrived here in mid-August two years ago. So... Where'd you come from? I came from Chicago. Yeah, I lived in Chicago for six years prior to this. Okay, and yeah. what what led you to New York from Chicago? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I moved to I knew, moved to New York for several reasons. Um, for uh, I actually moved with a partner who was at the time um, applying to graduate school, and they all over the country, and they got into school here in New York. Um, I'm an artist and a writer, and it made sense to move here, Um, and so I was very happy about that, and so it made sense for my life as well as theirs. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Bay Area in California, Um, and I always like to say that I grew up in the East Bay. Um, Oftentimes when you say you grew up in the Bay Area, people think you grew up in San Francisco, And I didn't. I grew up an hour east of San Francisco, which at the time was a very different place um, than it is now. But then also as it is to San Francisco, it was more of a rural community um, and more agriculture. Uh, So I'm a West Coaster uh, at heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And what have your experiences um, been like uh, with regard to... I guess your your relationship with the queer community, with the trans community in these in these various places. Um, oh well, <laughs> big question. <laughs> that, I no, know. <laughs> no, it's a good it's a good question, and it's one that I I don't actually typically relate to all the places I've lived. Um, which I think now that you're asking it, I feel like I want to talk about what it would have meant to be in a queer community um, in California. Um, which I was for, for a while, but um, I was raised in California and didn't quite have the access to a queer community when I first came out. Um, I came out as a, as a lesbian um, in 94, maybe? Maybe 94. Um, and there really wasn't, and because of the community I lived in, there really wasn't a, a ton of access to anything queer. I mean, queer wasn't even a word that anyone was using, at least in my circle, and certainly, you know, it was it was really about, um, I think, more concealing your identity or being different than it was about and surviving than it was about really being part of any kind of community. Um, the short version of that story is that I ended up seeking out people that were sort of supportive of, uh, at the time, what felt like a really alternative lifestyle, and then um, moving to San Francisco, which at the time, even though it was an hour away, was an incredibly um, special place because of not geographical distance, but um, like mental distance and and cultural distance. And so when I finally got to live there, it was a real big deal. Um, I didn't identify as queer until, you know, I think... In, in conversationally and, and in, in, in the community, probably in Chicago, but actually um, personally and in a way that I feel like I un- could understand, maybe in the last two years, so quite recently. Um, and 
so I lived in San Francisco and, and was part of a, I think, a pretty vibrant gay community and, you know, would go dancing and go to the clubs and, you know, early 2000s was a very different time. Um, and I kind of got a sense of what it meant to be, um, I guess, queer, although I wasn't calling it that then, um, and going to clubs and dancing, um, and going to the Castro and go doing all the things. Um, and then I moved to Chicago for graduate school, um, in 2000, late 2000, um, early 2009, no, late 2009, pardon me, late 2009. And, um didn't really discover the queer community until I had kind of gotten on my feet and started to go to school there and discovered it through school. So I went to the Art Institute um, and I found that the community there was vastly different because of it being the Midwest. Um, and I came from the Bay Area where it felt like things were much more integrated racially and kind of people were kind of always questioning labels and feeling, you know, and switching up labels and being really um, comfortable and I guess what you could call intersectionality, but it kind of like performed intersectionality that made parties really fun and and you know activities really fun um and then when I got to Chicago it felt like that was happening but because of the it being in the Midwest and because of it being surrounded by um geographically even just the way land is broken up in the middle of the country it just felt like you kind of had to huddle closer together and so there was less freedom to I think around those boundaries um at least at the time that I was in Chicago um and then in and so I didn't feel entirely part of a queer community in Chicago. I felt part of a large artist community um, that at times was queer and certainly overlapped in a big way, but that by no means was my number one identity or the identity that I felt the closest to while I was in Chicago, mm-hmm. even though in Chicago is when I began to transition. Um, and then when I moved to New York uh, two years ago, I should just start saying two and a half really I don't know why I feel <laughs> I feel like New York takes an adjustment and so there's this there's this will to say you just got here <laughs> um but um so I think in New York is really where I began to feel part of I guess what could be considered a queer community or really began to feel like I was connecting with queer people and I think that that is in response to both how I began to live my life Maybe a little bit more, I don't want to call it selfishly, but a little bit more with my own self-preservation in mind or my own desires in mind. Um, And uh, also, I think the sort of political um, scene or or the, the... the politics and the events of the past probably two years with regards to violence against people of color, against trans women of color, against um, has really, I think, pushed pretty hard against my own, what I thought was um, a comfortable or becoming a more comfortable gay existence or more comfortable um, existence of difference. And it doesn't just, it just doesn't feel that way at all. Maybe that feels like it was a dream and it actually isn't. And it's now I'm starting to really pick apart, I guess, the queer umbrella a little bit and see how experiences of different people are different and uh, resources are scarce and violence happens and so a lot of those things I think have influenced this like intense feeling of like what queer can be and how it can be like a positive thing but also a thing to maybe fight back with I'm not sure Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, um, I want to go back to um, a remark you just made about identity. Um, you said that in Chicago you felt like you weren't um, necessarily identifying strongly as queer, um, but uh, I guess in relation to other identities that you felt close to, what kinds of ide- other identities um, were you meaning there? Um, I think first and foremost, just being an artist. I was in Chicago to go to art school, and that's what brought me there. Um, I also had been raised on the West Coast, so it was a way to get away from something that was very familiar. Um, and so at the time, there was just an, a kind of a t- intense focus on um, making artwork, performing. I make performance, but performing with other people and supporting other people's performances and being part of, I think, a, f- a kind of family. Um, and at the time, you know, and if I look, and some those people still are some of the most important people in my life. They're not all queer, 
Um, some of them are, are, you know, pretty normative in many ways. Um, and I think it was just because we were circulating in this uh, kind of, for lack of a better word, like currency of new knowledge and excitement in what it meant to make art. It, it sort of, I think, what became my, like, number one reason for being, in, you know, in Chicago and, and, and feeling excited about things. Um, I think sometimes, you know, queer communities can be kind of insular or can be kind of like, and it felt like because maybe Chicago was the place that it is, it felt like the queer community there um, was a kind of like, uh, was a tough, tougher to crack than I think it has been in other cities. I'm not quite sure, you know. Um, and that's by no means a diss. It's an amazing queer community there. Um, there's a lot of wonderful uh, groups. Um, but yeah, it just didn't, it, it wasn't, it was diff more difficult to access. And I keep wanting to say, oh, I was also a person of color and I was identifying strongly with that. But I actually, at the time, it, I wasn't, you know, I was, like, if you'd ask me, I would tell you I'm a person of color, I'm, you know, I'm brown or I'm of Mexican descent, but it wasn't something that I felt like I was wearing on the outside. Um, I think really I was wearing being an artist on the outside. Um, and I think it's difficult to, you know, it's difficult to be an artist and I think you sacrifice a lot. And so I think at the time when you start, sort of start to pay, you pay the dues for something really heavily, I think you begin to, you know, you, you wear that more. Okay. Um, you brought up family and I'm wondering, um, if that's something you're okay talking about yeah sure talking more about okay um so how would you describe your relationship to family um my relationship to my family or to family the idea of family is pretty fraught um so and for many reasons and I think it's both um made you know uh and I don't want to use the word inspired but it's taught me certainly a lot about myself and it's taught me a lot of patience um and uh my family is um, half Mormon and half Catholic, um, which is an odd mix. Um, my parents were raised Catholic. They're Mexican. They're from Southern Arizona. Um, it's a very it's part is just as much as it's a you know a, a practice of going to church every Sunday. It's a cultural it's a set of cultural beliefs that influences daily life really. Um, and but at one time they did convert to Mormonism and they had six children. I am the last of six by 13 years. Um, and every single one of my brothers and sisters were raised or were at least baptized Mormon um, by parents that had formerly been Catholics. Uh, because of those 13 years, I was baptized Catholic because by that time my family had, my parents had, had left the church, but they had been in it long enough to instill uh, the beliefs of the Mormon faith in my brothers and sisters, um, and it's what they knew and it's what they believed their world to be about. Um, and so most of my family is actually still Mormon, most of my siblings. Um, so I was sort of raised conservatively, and because my parents are older than most people my age, um, slightly older, my um, mother and father were born in the late 30s, so they're approaching 80 years old right now. Um, and you know, I think I was raised with a sort of assimilationist values. Um, and because of all those things, when I came out as gay at 15, um, they didn't have the tools to cope with what that meant. Um, you know, they, they really just had uh, sort of stories or, or fears, fears really, just ignorance and fears. And um, they didn't deal, they didn't take it very well. Um, and uh, my siblings also, who by this time were moved out of the house and were Mormon and were, you know, had only become more Mormon, I think, in their um, sort of re, um, because my parents left the church, I think they felt like they had to move further towards it um, and sort of prove that it was indeed something that they were not just introduced to, but that they believed. Um, and so they also did not take it well. Um, and so for a long time, I, um, sort of had a real tough relationship with my parents at home when I was, I was 15. So the last two years of high school, they just like 
lost it. Um, they just didn't, they didn't, the thing that I always try to tell people when I, so I, I don't tell this story often, but if you get to know me long enough, I'll tell you, I have a really difficult relationship to my family and coming out and it's sort of, um, but the thing I always try to like say is that coming out, um, really affected my parents' cosmic reality, what they believed to be true about the world and human beings and love and, you know, and so it wasn't even something that, like, we could even talk about on the ground. They didn't even have the tools for that. Um, and I do believe that that ignorance really stems from um, a kind of class existence. My my mo- mom went to the eighth grade and she quit school so she could take care of her um, family. Because my father, my grandfather um, was uh, ill at the time and he actually ended up dying pretty young. Um, and then my father was raised very poor and so they just didn't have access to what it would mean to control to have agency really i mean plain and simple you know um and so they just couldn't they like they couldn't compute and it also pushed up against what they felt to be real about you know faith and you know expectations for how you should live your life and it might sound like i'm making an excuse excuses for them but really um i think the thing that's taught me those kinds of like to look at it that way has been like after many years, um, my folks and I sort of learned to, to deal with each other, sort of learned to talk and, you know, and, and I think that I'm, they're still perplexed by my existence. They don't quite know that I'm, they know that I'm trans. They understand that there's something different. They don't, I think that they, they just don't understand why that, like, you know, they don't understand why that could be or why, you know, one would want to um, transition or one why one would take hormones or why one, you know, they just like, um, and my siblings, uh, I'm trying to make this story short because there's, there's actually quite, it's quite a long story. Um, so this past summer, I, I saw my sisters when I was 15 over a summer break and I came out that fall after that summer break and I once I came out my mom told my sisters that I was gay um and one thing sort of leads, leads to another right like I'm gay and I'm a lesbian I'm gay and then I'm a dyke and then I'm you know I transition so it's all connected it's not like I'm trying to overlay one identity with another or, or say that one's more important but they just kind of happened in a, in a series of events so um, this is how old are you I was I was 15, so okay. I was 15, and I went on a summer vacation with my family to see my sisters, who all lived in Utah, again, Mormonism, um, and I saw my sisters, and I saw my niece, and because of the age range, I have actually quite a lot of nieces, um, and some nephews, but mostly nieces, so I saw my whole family, and then I came, you know, I was just sort of pent up and, like, couldn't keep it in any longer, I was, like, having a really hard time in school, and, like, I didn't go to a very um, accepting school either. So I was also having a really rough time finding support there. And, um, you know, I came out and, and that's how my siblings found out was through my mother. And they, um, I graduated school. I don't remember. I didn't see my family often, but I, I do remember there was one conversation where I, it had been a little while and I had a sense they didn't want to see me. And I, um, was talking to my mom on the phone and I lived alone. Actually, I moved out of the house. Um, so, you know, a couple, two years had gone by. Um, and uh, I said to my mom, I want to go visit my family. I want to go visit my brothers and sisters. My sisters, mostly, because I still sort of off and on talk to my brother. And she said, I'm sorry, Miha, daughter, but they don't want to see you. And... Um, I just, I didn't quite, I wasn't surprised, but I was also just like, kind of just didn't want to, I think I just didn't want to deal with what that meant. And so I just said, oh, okay, cool. Um, And then we just like finished talking. Um, And so I actually didn't see that's those siblings. One I still haven't seen, but of the two sisters that were sort of like, they don't want to see you. I didn't see her for 20, one of them for 21 years. Um, So 21 years later, which is this past summer, I, uh, actually saw, went saw my sister in, in Utah, and, um, it was very sweet, and I think that she was very sad, um, uh, because she didn't, I don't think she knew that it would be that long, 
Um, and time is a funny thing. You just don't, just years just go by, you know, and, and life takes over. And I think that you don't, you know, you always have that person on your mind, but you don't necessarily make, you don't know how to, how to, how to reach out. Um, and then my other sister actually was ill, uh, and is in the hospital. So I also saw her. Um, so it's sort of a real intense vacation, but the point being, um, is that I think just now, you know, over 20 years later, I've been able to sort of take stock of my family and reach out and say, you know, hey, like, how are you, you know, and just kind of, I don't judge them. And I know that that sounds kind of crazy. Like, I don't think I ever was, I was very hurt for many years. Maybe I still am, but I was never angry. Um, I just don't think that that was quite the the impulse that I needed or could manifest. It's just not, it doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, so. That's family. I mean, I will say that, that of course, informs how I feel about family now. <laughs> that whole scenario. We won't go into what I think now, but that's the history. Okay. You sure you don't want to... I mean, we can. Okay. I can, I well, feel like I'm going on very long. Uh these can be one to three hours. Mm. We have time. We have time. Uh, well, I have time. I don't know if you have time. <laughs> so family, what this has done um, is it's, it's given me an incredible amount of desire to be free and say what I want and do what I want when I want to do it because I felt like I sacrificed a lot to be able to do that in the first place. Right. I lost a kind of support system. I lost a connection to people that I loved and I had a very close family actually before that. Like, holidays and everything and so to lose that and to kind of lose that without knowing you're going to lose it was very intense um but it's also made me in a funny way like long sort of like long for that kind of stability but not even really understanding how it's embodied because I didn't necessarily live through it for my entire life but like long for like symbols of that stability so it's very strange um, like certain kinds of the ways houses are set up or space is set up or, you know, things that people put on their shelves or pictures of kids, just like the things that like you wouldn't even maybe give second thought to like really are really loaded for me in a kind of very sweet way where I feel like I regard them as being very special things. Um, but, uh, it, the way that it's played out is actually with partners, I've used to not want to be near my partner's families. Like, I wouldn't want to go on vacation. Like, they'd be like, we're going to go on vacation to see, to meet my mom, meet my dad, we're going to stay in the house I grew up in, and I would just, like, it was like I was allergic to it. Um, and then I started to get better at it and, like, sort of trust it as a thing in the world that maybe I didn't grow up having, but could experience maybe later on by way of being in love or close to this person, you know, and being someone's partner who was part of a family unit that was intact and, you know, was supportive and whatnot. Um, and so that's the way that it sort of changed. It still is difficult, though, to be around. I still always feel like a little bit, like I, like I wear my history. I keep talking about wearing things on the outside or wearing things on the inside, and I think that that's something I've been going back a lot in my life lately it's like what you wear on the outside and what you're honest about and what you tell people is you know with trauma pat your past or you know whatever you sort of you know it's like an outfit and it's like you're not afraid to wear that outfit um but I think now I still feel like you know when I'm in a situation with usually it happens with a lover or a partner and like um and that they have this unit I didn't have I always feel like people can tell like there's like a there's a you know it's clear that there's something that I it feels foreign to me but I think that that's also just me um yeah I'm skeptical I'm skeptical of like the normative family unit of I think it's really impacted how I feel about love and how I feel about relationships and what I think monogamy is and like should people be monogamous should I be monogamous forget I'm talking about me I shouldn't judge others but should I be monogamous? If so, how long for? Do I want kids? You know, which I ask myself a lot sometimes, but um, it's usually a no. But yeah, so. What about the concept of chosen family? Does that um, resonate with you? Um, it does. It does, and I think it has for a long time. Really, out of sur- kind of like survival and understanding, like it's hard to be in the world without 
others who get you, others that you can like celebrate with, others that you can you know bitch with and complain with, and um, and I think that when I moved to Chicago, um, when I left, one of the really interesting things about living in San Francisco is that it was a beautiful place. I was from there, but when I left there, I had very few friends. Um, I had a really strong studio practice because I made art constantly, constantly, but I was really a loner. And it was because I was afraid to let anyone close to me, um, barely a girlfriend, you know, I just like was so afraid. Um, and then I got into school in Chicago and I remember somebody said, whoa, do you know anyone in Chicago? And I said, and it was like the first time I had considered it. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't know anyone, anyone, you know, like, well, you'll learn. I mean, that's what you'll have to do is like meet people. And I was like, oh no, he's right. I'm gonna have to meet people. <laughs> and so I went to Chicago um, really with the intention of being really open and, 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 meeting, and meeting people. And the thing is, is that I learned, the lesson I learned in Chicago is, this is gonna sound so silly, um, people need you just as much as you need them. They just don't say it. We don't say it, but people need to be loved by you probably as much as you want them to love you. Like, we're all sort of needing, needing, you know, that. And then when I realized that, like, maybe my own love of somebody had value, that, like, someone really was wanting me to be close to them, in a friendship kind of way, you know, um, that I was like, oh, I feel like I can be open to people because I have something to give. Um, and when I went to Chicago, I... Um, just became a more open person, became a more trusting person, um, and learned to make room for other people in my life and to, to like try to see them more. And I gave, I, I got my family. So speaking of chosen family, I am answering the question. Um, that's actually where I, A, got my family, B, sometimes people ask me where I'm from, I'll tell them I'm from Chicago, because I felt like it was the first place in my life where I, um, the, my actions were, were based upon my own wishes and my I was determining my own sort of scenario for how I was living my life and it was very positive and many of the people that I met in Chicago um, I still know and um, are uh, really really special to me as, as family but I will say this I don't think my sense is personally and I will not speak for anyone else I do not think that chosen family is a replacement for blood relatives. I don't think that, that they, I don't think it's the same. I don't feel like, oh, because now I have a chosen family, it's okay, or like I'm not missing anything, or I don't long for a familiarity of, of somebody who shares my own DNA or my own way of talking or moving in the world. Um, to me, they're not, they're not, uh, the same. I don't, I'm missing the word here, but they're, and that I think is a really unpopular thing to say. Sometimes I said, it's like, it's a thing I'm actually sort of afraid to say, but that's just how I feel. You know, and I don't think that it's about, it's not a value thing. I'm not saying one is more important than the other. I'm saying they're different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one um, involves various kinds of inheritance, right? You're, you're focusing on gen- genetic inheritance, but there are other kinds of inheritance too that don't, don't really come with chosen family. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess hypothetically they could. It would just take a lot of work. Like what? Um, I'm thinking of like economic inheritance, like yeah, forms of that or yeah, you know. Yeah, it is a kind of things down. Yeah, exactly. Path like things like objects and things like that just don't always you know. It's hard to. Um, it's such an interesting thing. I'm just thinking now. A queer like what are the heirlooms of a queer lineage? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. What are they? Here we are. Yeah. All of us little queer butterflies and beings, <laughs> like loving each other with and without our own, you know, blood relatives and are we passing anything on? I guess that this project is part of that. But mm-hmm. it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I just wanna check to make sure there's nothing. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, that has, that's actually a nice segue into um your art and your artistic practice because I think you know art of course is can also be like a kind of you know 
what's the word I'm looking for? Um, traces of the past oh, yeah. inheritance. I'm thinking particularly of well, I want to I want to talk about your recent work, um, but also the what was the poem called? Ode to a Dyke Bar or Oh, the Dyke Bar's classroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that and what informed that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so my good friend uh, Macon Reed, who is a sculptor primarily, a visual artist, um, programmed a. Um, a project called Eulogy for the Dyke Bar, where she created this, like, you know, space that was mostly made out of brightly colored and formed and shaped cardboard sculptures, like cardboard jukeboxes and, like, very bright colors, and she invited um, people, members of the community, to read uh, based on their experience in dyke bars um, in here in Brooklyn. And she did it twice. She did it once in Brooklyn. She did it once at the uh, the art fair, an art fair that was at here. It was in Manhattan, maybe uh, six months ago. Um, the one in Brooklyn was better, as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, all of us spoke. Some of us read books. Some of us read our own poems. Some of us just talked. But for her, it was really important to have a intergenerational exchange. Um, where not only age is represented, but different relationships to gender. She's just, just very considerate about that. Um, and uh, I was invited as one of the uh, artists and um, writers, I guess. And what I wanted to write was... Um, I wanted to write how... I always tell people that I kind of came of age in dancing or I came of age in the clubs or I came of and, and I, I wish I came of age in the clubs that's a little bit of a stretch of the truth um I came, probably came of age at the end of what was a time to come of age in the clubs um but still it was a time when people were playing records when music was you know people were couldn't exactly be who they wanted to be outside of the club or maybe escaping you know some persecution in their community or home um HIV was, you know, barely becoming to be something that was treatable. So there was a lot to be, I think, escaping from and a lot to sort of celebrate about or, you know, to sort of live through by way of celebration. All of those things created a certain feel on the dance floor that I don't think happens today. I'm also just dating myself and sounding old. Um, but uh, this poem that I wrote was uh, a talking about what you learn when you dance and talking about what you learn in a dyke bar and um, what attraction and it was about desire too it was like about discovering your own desire discovering your desires on the dance floor because for many people and I think this is still the case you know I'm living in New York right now and I'm like oh everything's great you just be you just be whatever you want um, that's still not even the case in New York it depends on who you are and what street you're walking down and and what time of night and what you're wearing and so you know I don't want to generalize at all I just want to speak for myself but you know um for me at that time you know you were able to maybe discover a desire that you weren't able to have out on the street and you're able to discover it in the on the dance floor in a dyke bar um and it was this place where women um, or people who identified as dykes could be who they wanted, you know, whoever they wanted to be and could be these, you know, wonderful sort of like strong creatures that I lusted after um, and were the first kind of taste for me of what my own desire was coming to be um, and, you know, and watching other others dance and learning about dance that way and learning about movement that way and learning how to seduce through movement and all of these things. Um, and so the poem really goes talks through um that learning process it talks about um you know not wanting to there's a line in it that repeats oh, i wish i had it in front of me but it, it basically talks about not wanting to leave the history oh not wanting to become an artifact because artifacts are left on shelves and um, you know, wanting to remain present and feeling that there's still value in thinking about what it means to be a dyke and thinking about those spaces that really not wanting to push them back in understanding that we can look at them as history, but understanding that they still have a valuable, there's still a value to the present. Um, and 
in it, I reference all of that learning, but then also um, a photograph that's actually a really important photograph to me. Um, and it's a photograph from Robert Frank's The Americans, um, which was a book that I believe that he, the photographer, black and white photographer, wrote. I think he got a Guggenheim fellowship and he wrote it, or he um, took all these photos as he, he's, a, he's from France, and he took all these photographs as he um, drove throughout the country. Uh, and one of these photographs is of a, of a, it's black and white, but what appears to be a dark, sort of dark-skinned Mexican kid who's looking into a jukebox and, like, an empty bar. Um, and the only thing that's really lighting up his face is this jukebox. It's, like, glowing, and he's, like, about... It looks like he's either made a selection on the jukebox or he's about to make a selection. Um, and I think it's somewhere in, in Reno or somewhere, somewhere in the West. And I've always identified with this photograph, like, watching this Mexican kid, like, pick the next song. And for me, I have always seen myself as that figure. Um, and so the, the poem was really about being brown and being a dyke and being, you know, learning all these things and sort of looking back and wanting to still value that past. Um, so. I'm going to pause this. Um, okay, part two, um, M. Milk's interviewing Jay Soto. Um, okay, so yeah, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about your work um, in general. How, did, how would you describe your work? And I guess I'm particularly interested in um, the way you think about your work in relation to your various identities. Yeah, um, so I am a writer first and foremost. Um, and I say that because writing kind of filters into everything I do, even if writing isn't a, isn't a part of the end product, it's somewhere in there. Um, and it's where I feel the most at home. Uh, I often make live work where I use text and, you know, perform what could be considered dance, but is, is probably the safest bet considered performance art. Um, I, one of the things that if you ever hear me talk about art, who get, gets to make gets to make what art or why or, you know. One of the things I, I often say is that um, I worry sometimes that the art that people are making, people that are marginalized, people of difference, queer people, trans people, however you want to say it, um, is often um, the expectation is that they make art which illustrates that difference in opposition or um, that is other than what is normal or what is normative or neutral or sort of, you know, and that what ends up happening is that those expectations or what people make ends up being determined by um, audiences or funders or, or whoever um, in a power structure that aren't, uh, that aren't the people that are living those experiences that aren't necessarily well-versed in that work, but it needed kind of like a constant affirmation that they are not the person that's performing, that, exist that their existences are different and they want to learn about people and that, you know, and it's great because they're giving people a platform to perform their differences over and over again. Of course, I'm really, really reducing it down to what I think actually happens. But my point with this is I feel like... Um, this is a very personal thing, so, and I know many people probably wouldn't agree with me. I think that uh, who you are, who I am, is um, implicit in what I do. So if it's me that's doing a simple task, it's the me that I have just described for you, and you know, that has lived through these, you know, these times and had these experiences, and it will always be that me. Um, so that it doesn't necessarily, what I do doesn't necessarily have to verbally state or illustrate in any kind of overt way that it is a trans, person of color, working class, um, person that's doing it, right? Um, that is my number one belief in my, in making art, in me making art. Um, and I will take it with me. I'll never change that. Um, and, uh, because what I think, the, what I think happens when you don't consider that is things end up getting really flattened out and a lot of generalizations get made and we lose the complexity of what it means to be not only trans, 
but a person of color, but also a person who's working class, but also a person who's experienced maybe abuse or whatever is happening, right? So you can't hold all that intersectionality if you just, you know, if the narrative or the, the who's, who's casting the net for the narrative happens to be uh, somebody who's not part of that community or doesn't understand those intersections. Um, and I say this because um, it took me a long time to begin making work about being queer. A long time. Because my answer, my, my answer to myself in not wanting to do that was to completely just shut it off and not, you know, that by saying it's implicit in my body, I don't have to show it, I therefore would not show anything. Um, it would just create this work that was kind of, didn't have a home, it didn't have a ground, it didn't have a, you know, and it wasn't really, and I wasn't really excited about. Um, and it was a real struggle for a long time. Um, I think graduate school made me do that, actually. I felt like the pressure to, to overperform difference in graduate school, and so I just completely shut down. Um, and when I got out and started making work again, um, I started to return to the things that interested me. Excuse me. Um, and the things that inter interested me were, of course, queer things, were, of course, queer history, my own heroes, my own gay heroes, you know, and they interested me in complex ways, so I wasn't losing the complexity. Um, one of the questions, or one of the things that's been influencing my work a lot lately is what it means to be a brown trans man who whose heroes are mostly dead white gay men. Because that's the history that I was had access to. It's the history that I continue to, to mine because I'm interested in it. It's... Um, but there's something there and what's missing and what's missing is the brown body and what's missing is like the complication of, you know, everyone else um, who wasn't, you know, fit, didn't fit into these categories in the 90s, you know. Um, and I say 90s because this is where many of these figures come about that I, I often look to for inspiration or sort of like read my narrative into their lives um, or vice versa. Uh, and I think that... <clears throat> Right now, my work will always sort of be thinking, at least for right now, will be thinking about those things and queerness, but also class, you know, also, um, I'm first and foremost a working class person. I always will be. Like, they, everything else is sort of, I think, more visibly, more louder, but that's, those are the cultural behaviors and expectations that I come from first. Um... You know, it's the size of the house I grew up in. It's the level of education my parents had. It's these things, right? So these things informed my daily reality before even a concept of what queerness could be or is or desire even could form, you know, inside of my, my body. Um, but I think right now, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, in um, making work that interrogates um, and thinks about where we learn to identify and who we learn it from um, and what it means... You know, it's funny what it means to say that you're an American, you know. Um, I'm somebody who, I'm, uh, I don't say that I'm a proud American, especially right now, but I am an American, without a doubt. I wasn't born, I wasn't born in Mexico. You know, I wasn't born, I was, I'm brown and I identify as a somebody who's from the Southwest and whose family is from the part of the Southwest that was Mexico and then they drew, you know, they sort of decided what part would be Mexico and what part would be the U.S. and my family by way of this boundary drawing, became U.S. citizens. Like, that's how, you know, sort of work. Um, and, but in that, with that acknowledgement of that narrative is an acknowledgement of being raised as an American, you know, in a very complicated way. But I'm not, I would rather entertain that complication and talk about it and talk about it in relationship to being of color and being different than... I'd say white person or a hetero white person then I would to sort of go headlong into and identifying like nationalistically with you know what it means to be Mexican or what it means because that's not my reality my reality is more complicated it's a much more is a complicated one not more than anything else but is one that's rooted in um binaries sometimes you know and also non-binaries you know and a lot of boaths 
you know so I think right now I'm really trying to like hold all of that in my in my work um, and just kind of like trying to put it out there in like the most unexpected ways you know that you wouldn't expect people to kind of you wouldn't expect I think an artist to to identify in those ways so a while back you um talked about um you were talking about your relationship to the queer community in these various spaces and you mentioned um sort of coming into queerness or a new kind of queerness um, in New York. Um, and I wonder if you can uh, talk a little bit more about that. Are there any particular experiences or communities um, that brought you to, the, to that place? Yeah, um, I actually think that it, it's funny. It's been like dating. It's been dating. And I don't even know if I'd call it dating, but like hooking up with people. Um, so I'm single. And I've been single for about eight months and kind of out of a long, like sort of very monogamous situation. And before that, a very long monogamous situation. Um, and so when I, uh, this year has been really about figuring out like desires and what does my body want and who does it want to be near, but it doesn't have to be about love, but it can be about, you know, and just kind of like figuring all that out. And that in fact has felt that along with realizing that I, I have a lot of like love for a lot of people in my life that I also don't want to sleep with. Like that I also don't, you know, that I like adore, but you know, and sort of parsing out, I think there's this thing that we do that tends to happen with loves and like attraction or relationships or whatever is like you love somebody but you also want to be near them all the time. And you also want to... And it's just like, this person is the source of everything. And it makes... Right now, it just makes no sense to me um, why you would ask so much of one person and also depend so much on one person to give you these things, you know. And so I think a lot of understanding what queerness is and what queerness is to me and finding a home in that queer community here has been like, figuring out like okay I know the parts I know the pieces and I know what I want but they don't necessarily have to come from like one person or one single entity in my life or one way of existing it can come from and also being allied and in conversation with a lot of other people that are feeling the same ways and are embodying those existences and like living in those ways and being perfectly happy and being in control of their lives and being successful and making their art and you know taking care of themselves and not seeing you know I think especially coming from my world, like, I was raised to believe that, like, you lived and loved in this one way, and if you didn't, like, who, like, you know, things would blow up, or, like, disaster would strike upon your life. And, like, seeing, again, I was raised Catholic, but seeing people around me live and be happy and be non-monogamous and make their art and, you know, and love each other and have really positive, um honest what feel like honest you know sort of at least in communicatively relationships has been like one of the queerest things i've witnessed and has made me want to explore that for myself so in the way that that's manifested has really honestly been through like desire and sex and like um meeting other trans guys but mostly cis men on uh you know scruff or like other apps and like talking even just talking or like meeting up or hooking up and like being like just about sharing that time and space in your bodies and it really not needing not needing to be more than that has been really um affirming um and has made me feel like that is another queer way of like learning and living and I was actually um hooking up with this one older fella who was 54 for a while and the best thing about our seeing each other was not um and I've been thinking a lot about this the best thing about us seeing each other I mean sex was great but it was also he's lived in New York his whole life he has this experience of history and of New York and then of a village that's hard to get you know you could read about it but to be able to sit there with somebody and have them tell you like it was like this at least through one person's eyes it was this way and you know I used to go here and the neighborhood's changed in these ways is I think a way of another way of getting a queer education and it's funny to say okay I'm getting a queer education through a hookup app but I like firmly believe that that was what was happening in addition to hooking up um so I hope that answers your question yeah 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 
Okay. Um, so I'm going to ask you one um, more just like big question um, about identity. Um, and then uh, we'll spend some time, you know, seeing if there's anything else you want to uh, talk about. Last big question. Um, how do you understand trans identity? How do you understand transness? How do you relate to your transness and transness as a category? Um, it's tough. Uh, I, I want it not to be messy, but it's messy. And, um, and the reason why I say I want it not to be messy is because that means work. And I'm tired. Um, and I already do a lot of other kinds of work, so I want to be able to have one thing in my life stay put. Um, but uh, the way that I understand it now is, for me personally, um, as something that is shifting and as something that is um, quite special in that shifting and um, is non-binary, of course, um, and is moving beyond, as in trans, moving beyond, transform, transcend, uh, the, the binary, but also um, other, I think other things factor into that, and it just isn't just about gender, but I think it's about how one practices their life and how one moves in the world. Um, and I think that uh, being trans is in um, opposition to, I think it's in opposition to a lot of things. I think it's, you know, that are, at least now, it feels like it's a very radical thing to be and a kind of very radical you know part of a community to, to be part of um, and I want it to remain so and I don't want it to get co-opted and I don't want it to become there's a part of me that's like feels you know I don't want it to become something that is um, I want people to feel safe but I don't necessarily want it to become co-opted or sellable or and I think that's already happening of course but um, but that's acceptance so I, I think I have a really I have a lot of ambivalence around what I hope trans does um, but for me, um, it's, yeah, I think it's a lifelong journey. I mean, I, I don't, I think there was a time when I was like, you know, I'm a transgender male to, or female to male. And that's not right for me. Um, that's not exactly what's happening. I think that's a really short, shortened version of what possibly could be happening. Um, and perhaps not even my language. Um, I think transness is about re uh reevaluating language and recreating language and maybe moving against the idea of definite defining language um and that's really exciting to me so um it's funny there's just a part of me i think i forget sometimes that in being trans the world expects that i have given up a lot of something of who i was and i think for some trans trans people that is the case like you are moving toward you are sort of you know you you're moving away from something and towards something you're moving towards your own agency and you're towards your own embodiment of who you wish to be and i think i'm a little different um and i think people approach being trans in many many different ways so i certainly can only speak for myself but for me it's always been like it's just layers like it's just you know it's layer after layer after layer after layer and the first layer is always there it's always informing you know i can't um it's not something that I wish to hide or that I wish to not, that I wish to not check in with really. Um, I was socialized as a little girl and I'll never lose that. That is who I was socialized as. So I was taught how to behave, you know, how not to misbehave, how little girls don't behave. I was taught all those things. And so I'm not going to, in being trans, forget that that was what I was taught my place in the world was. Me being trans isn't a response to that. It's not reactionary. But that's still within me. 
so when I like relate to women or when, when I have you know sort of you know people in my life I feel like I have a sense of maybe what it might be be like for them to be experiencing the world because at one time I may have been in a similar place so I I feel like that just gives me more um, insight into relationships and people around me um, and I don't wish to forget I sort of just like wish to kind of keep going and checking in and gaining information and knowledge and ways of being in the world to me that's what trans is um i don't know it's unsettling sometimes and other times it's really lovely yeah great um yeah that's such a complicated uh important response um okay i feel like i should ask you more about new york is there anything you want to say about New York, your history here, your future here? My future here? Ooh. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, I have a two-year history here. It's pretty, it's pretty clear. Um, I had no history here before. I'd only visited once. Um, or twice. I adore it. Love New York. I think, uh, you know, it will just punch you in the face, or in the gut, rather. I don't think New York really shoots for the face. I think it's more of a gut thing. Um, it will really... I feel like it's an intense... By saying that, what I'm saying is it's an intense city to live in. Um, in many ways, and everyone says it. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to New York, it's going to be like this, like this, and like this. And I remember coming here and being so like, no, it's not. Like, you just, you're just saying that. Um, in many ways, it has been. Um, it's rough. Uh, but I love what I love about it is I think that the proximity of people to each other, the things that I think make make New York a difficult place, also make it lovely because um, people have to sort of contend with what it means to share space, and um, and to kind of uh, witness each other constantly, um, and I like what that brings out in people, um, and I find it to be kind of very sort of charming. You know, I don't know, it's funny, I don't know that I'll stay, I, I, I'm a Westerner, but like, I feel like, uh, I feel like I could stay here. I do, I do. Um, I think that, um, you know, by stay here, I kind of mean like, yeah, I think I mean what I'm saying, I think <laughs> stay. <laughs> um... And not move back to California. Um, I don't like the cold. I mean, weather's a thing. But uh, I I like the speed. I like how people occupy space. I like the neighborhood I live in. I like the summer, how people treat summer. Um, I think I'm just sort of like, I would want... Yeah, we're going to say that. But yeah, I, I like it here. I think that I think I would want to share it with somebody. And that would be like what would keep me here. It would be like somebody who also wants to stay in New York. Um, and right now it's I'm enjoying it very much. Um, and don't you know but I'm a cowboy. Like I, I do want to go back to you know, when I'm in the West I feel like I'm at home too and it's like this is you know, this is where I should be. You know. I would love to live on both coasts and just split my time. That would be ideal. Um, but am I far from Mexican-Americans? Yes. Am I far from, you know, a language that sounds familiar? Absolutely. Am I far from food that's familiar? Yes. Am I far from a concept of time and a concept of, you know, um, history in a way that I came of age knowing, you know, yeah, 100%. Like, there's much about living here that's very foreign. Um, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else that you want to discuss? Other topics? Um, or topics you want to go back to? Or you call it quits? Oh, um... I'm not sure. I, I think, I think that that's, I think that that's sort of 
I think it's interesting to be the idea of like preserving trans people's histories and I, I think that you know we can sort of talk about this afterwards but I think that um, for many people I think that trans people and also a history and a concept of what it means to be trans is like maybe growing so fast right now with you know I think of me coming of age in the 90s and then like also you know maybe somebody who's like 12 years old right now you know and is trans and how different those experiences probably are but also that not being that long of a time it is and isn't a long period of time and how that that change is happening so fast that I think it's interesting to be preserving um, and recording people's memories now and, you know, what that sort of means for someone who's younger. That's kind of great. That's more of a statement. That's not a question. Yeah. That's it. You sure? I can give you the question list. <laughs> okay, we're done. Um, thank you so much. You're welcome. This was really fantastic. Was it good? <laughs>